So the question I have is, if you wanted to make for yourself a timer to open and close a shutter for a pinhole camera so that you wouldn't have to sit there, you know, saying 7,000 hippopotamus, 7,001 hippopotamus, you would... I was thinking it would be nice to have a mechanical like egg timer that would drive a shutter. So how would you uh, go about trying to make something like that? Okay, so it, does, it needs to be automatic? It yeah, just an automatic so so like say say it your shutter's on bulb or on time uh-huh. and this device you would set for like 2 minutes or 5 minutes or whatever your oh, shutter for long time is. Exposures. And it would just open and close the shutter for you. So you could then just completely veg out and look at the view and you wouldn't have to like check your watch and all that, you know? Oh, that's a good question. And I have not given any thought, but yeah, it would be, it would be handy. Um, you could, um, do some sort of like guillotine system where, um, it, you know, after the time, uh, something drops in front of the camera, in front of the lens you know, after five minutes or something like that. Um, I remember, I remember making something where an alarm clock set off a mouse trap, which closed the circuit. But it, I'd like to get it more compact. So the guillotine sounds like you could take a lot less space. So, so, but what I'm trying to figure out, so when it fell, it would activate or it would hit the shutter button or something. Or is no, no, uh, my idea is. Um, it's down position is the shut position, which is the at rest position. And then you would lift it up. Oh, it's the, sh- it is the shutter. It is. Yeah. So you would lift it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, at the end of that timer, uh, it would be released and it would, it would drop back down. Um, and you can and put close. it under tension oh, with that's a, a great spring. Idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Right. But, right. So. Yeah, I like that a lot. As for um, the mechanism, um, you know, I, I'm not an electronics guy, uh, but there are plenty of people out there with electronics. And I think, you know, what are those cheap boards uh, like Arduino or something I, like that? Uh, I'm sure somebody could work that up pretty quickly and easily. Okay. Mechanical. I just want to find, I just want to find like a way to hook it up to some sort of an old clock or something, you know, or so, cause the reason I thought of this, and the reason I thought of this is cause Yo Jonas, uh, one of our listeners had recently suggested using a darkroom timer to time long exposures. Like it would be handy. And I, and I, the only ones that I have that will turn something on and off or like 110 volt. They wouldn't be very useful out outdoors. So I started wondering about like something you wouldn't, but yeah, battery powered would be fine. I'm sure there's an app for your phone. You know, in fact, I have a dongle for my iPad, which can control a Fuji camera remotely and it can make it open and close its shutter and, you know, time long exposures and all that stuff. But it's an all electronic. There's no inputs on any of my homemade cameras for something like that, you know, so it would have to be mechanical. You know, uh, it, uh, so it, anyway, it, if it needed to be, well, okay, so the ancients used water, uh, as a, as a clock mechanism. So if you knew what oh, the yeah, rate yeah. of escape of water was, you could mark different levels on, you know, a coffee can on the inside of a coffee mm-hmm. can. And, uh, you know, counterbalance it, counterweight it. And so that when it got to a certain point, um, you know, it would be too, it would be light enough that it would trigger something. Um, you know what? There's, there's inexpensive 
uh, timers that you can buy to run your uh, watering system on your hose. Yeah, but those are so electronic. Th- there's <laughs> no, they make wind up. Oh, do they? Okay. They make wind up, and they and they also make ones that run on double A batteries. Um, but the wind up ones are pretty small, and it it makes a valve close with a fair amount of force at the end of a time anywhere from one minute to 60 yeah minutes. that would be a good idea uh, and there you could probably figure out a way to make that you know activate a a little lever that tripped a shutter or whatever i mean a lot of the shutters that like so the shutter i'm using for pinholes is an old-fashioned one that can be either a cable release or there's just this little lever that you can just lightly touch to trigger it it wouldn't right. be too hard to figure out you know a linkage to that so um, I'm gonna look into those. Yeah, that's just a simple wind-up thing. Yeah, or you yeah, could do something things. like um, hold a candle in your hand, and when it burned down far enough, <laughs> <laughs> you would say, "Oh, or, no, no, a fire, firecracker, firecracker." There we go. A fuse, yeah. just a, yeah. uh, that. That's certainly well. That's not mechanical. I guess actually, your your guillotine infuse. But... No, your your guillotine infuse idea would work sure. together. So when the fuse burned down it would drop the guillotine yeah absolutely that's that's the idea yeah, and i like the kind of i like the kind of matchlock quality like you should build in like a, stri- a flint striker too is is your middle name by any chance rube because some of these things you come up with <laughs> i i think i may have some goldberg in there mind. there we go well uh what do you say you want to start the homemade pa- camera podcast I'm going to say that again because I said the homemade Pamra. So what do you, <laughs> what, what do you say? You want to open the... It's time to start you the home, homemade pocketbook. Let's just go. Let's just go. We'll just go on. Okay. From there. So I've been uh, I've been having a lot of philosophical thought lately about the concept of the feature versus the essential, um, and it, and it comes down to uh, I was going through a lecture uh, in my digital photography class that I teach, and it was just basically you know um, uh, you you what what camera to buy, um, and uh, you know I didn't. Didn't say that they, I, I didn't specify brands, but I specified things, you know, like megapixels and, you know, um, megapixels. Uh, that was pretty much what I, what I hit. Um, I, and then I said what to buy with it. Um, and it, it, it keeps coming. I keep, my brain keeps getting drawn back to the concept that everything Every feature that is sold or that a camera is sold by today and for the last hundred years, everything has been a feature because we, we get the basic concept of the camera and we've talked about it already before a little bit. Um, but if the basic concept of the camera is you have a light tight box to keep all of the dark in. You have a lensing system. You have a recording system. It could be film, could be digital, could be video. It could be, you know, uh, wet plate, it, you know, salt, whatever. I don't know. Can you 
Can you take a photo mm-hmm. with salt prints? Anyway, my... Yeah, um, you, I think so, sure. Yeah, uh, I don't know whether you know this or not, but Andrew Bartram makes salt prints. Um, Andrew Bartram yeah, of yeah, they're, uh, they're the cool. Lensless podcast. So anyway, um, the, the concept that I am... Uh, uh, that that I want, want to talk about, it's the same thing with a car. You know, cars are meant to take you from here to there. They have four wheels, they have an engine, they have a steering system, they have a stopping system, they have... Yeah, it's the model... Well, actually, I'm not sure the Model T had a stopping system, but the rest of it... That, <laughs> yeah, that right. actually might be a feature. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. Stopping system might be a feature. I'm going to say that's an essential quality, okay? You know, but it, the the idea is, you know, even if you take, you know, like a, a, a top-of-the-line Cadillac from 1975... You take the bottom of the line, I don't know, Kia from 2018, you know, that Kia is going to be better. It is going to ride nicer. It is going to handle better. It is going to get better gas mileage. It is going to, it's going to have standard air conditioning that you didn't have to pay for. It's going, you know, it's going to be better with all that, but it's not going to be any different from the Model T in that get in, turn it on. Or, well, turn it on, get in, in the case of the Model T, and then drive somewhere and then get out. That basic function has been around for, in in the case of uh, cars, for 130 years. That basic function for cameras has been around for 180 years. Um, so, so what about features? So I, I started thinking about how you know, uh, everything beyond, uh, you know, that, that the basic stuff is, is features. So I'm going to give an example. I'm going to give an example of the earliest cameras were, uh, had a focal length and they were, but they were not generally did not have focusing mechanisms. Okay. So, you know, they were, um, uh, you know, I'm talking about the very earliest cameras. So, uh, so they had, but they had a lens, they had a glass lens, they had, you know, optical properties. Um, but then they, we started to have the feature of being able to focus variably. So that's a feature, right? Mm-hmm. So every sure. camera, you know, essentially, um, well, I was going to say every camera, but, a lot of them don't have that. Well, I would say starting, you really, you, you really, you, I'm sorry, you really need to start with the, um, uh, you know, the camera obscura, which had everything in focus. So in a way, the feature right. is limited focus. Yeah. And being able to choose where to put it. Oh, you, yeah, you have a point there. That That's part of the lens. That's, that's an effect of the lens. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So right. n- now we're, now we're focusing. So. We have focusing aids. We have things that help us. Now, we are still, we, meaning the human race, uh, is still developing focusing features that are new and different. And, um, you know, okay, so uh, let's talk about, you know, f- from an SLR standpoint. We, we have a ground glass that we look on, right? Okay. So that ground glass, right. we're looking through the, the pentaprism onto a ground glass. Um, and then. Yeah, via a, mi- a mirror. So that, that's a, 
that's also part of right. how that all functions. Right. So that pentaprism itself, as part of that system, you know, puts things up, mm-hmm. right side up and and left to right correct. So, um, so the the then they had split, uh, the split screen in the center that helped you focus. Um, and then they did those little micro prisms, you know, where it would be blurry mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, you would get feature, you know, you would get to see the stuff. Um, and those were really important. Those were huge advantages over just looking at ground glass, right? So then, um, yeah, yeah. and then it, when we started getting in into, some, I want to stop you. I want to yeah. stop though and say there are advantages in some ways. There are advantages. That feature is particularly appealing to a certain kind of photography, but it's no use at all to someone who's using a large format camera who actually prefers the ground glass, right. the old fashioned ground glass. So, so. So there, there's a way that the features are definitely tied to the behavior of the photographer. Right. Uh, and I was kind of thinking of this as limited to uh, 35 millimeter SLR um, with the idea My, I, I see. that that's uh-huh. where um, right now with the digital uh, SLRs, you know, and the, the, the lensless and all, all those not lensless mirrorless cameras. Uh, and all those, um, you know, that's where the money's going. That's where the development is. Uh, you know, uh, right now we're not doing a whole lot of technical development, development on focusing in with medium format or large or with say large format, because I think that that was settled in 1860 or 18, you know, before Matthew Brady. I think that that was already settled, well, wasn't it? I, w- I don't I don't think I agree. What I think is going on is that the people who'd use those old fashioned tools now are basically very conservative, and most of them aren't looking sure. ahead to use you know the, the next latest thing in technology. But I don't think it's impossible. I think there okay. could be you know room for sort of like the mirrorless large format you know view camera like that. There are miniature versions of that already appearing. You you can actually yes. turn your your mirrorless or even DSLR <laughs> camera into a tiny little view camera, but that's not the ideal way to implement that feature. Like it could be much better. Like for one thing, I would start with a tablet instead of a, you know, anyway, okay. you get the idea. I, I do. I do yeah. absolutely get the, get the idea. But, but my point is that, um, uh, most people who are out there, I'm not saying that you couldn't do that. Uh, but generally speaking, if somebody's shooting four by five, they're, they're shooting, um, or let's say just even eight by 10, um, they're shooting, they may, they may, they're focusing, but through the ground glass under a hood, you know, they're not generally even going to be range finding at that point or scale focusing. Uh, I mean, there's certainly, you know, the press camera and like the Graflex, uh, four by five SLRs that are you know certainly right. uh, outliers let's let's say they're outliers but the, um but the crucial the crucial i'm you know what i'm going to interrupt and say the reason yes. i don't i don't even want to just talk about 35 millimeter cameras because the the thing that's significant about using the ground glass is that you can move your plane of focus all the all over the place uh with a view camera and there's no 
that, you know, for that, there's no use in a little focusing aid stuck right. in the middle of the screen like that. That's no good. So you have to use the entire screen because you're in control, much greater control of the plane of focus. Um, so but that well, could be but, done in more in more advanced ways. Yeah, yeah that's possible. But I mean, you, you could have the micro prisms, uh, you know, four corners or or, you know, scattered throughout if you wanted to. Um, well, so, I think that's kind of kind of what um, a, you know, those concentric circles. Uh, what's that? Oh, called? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Fresnel lens. Yeah. The Fresnel yeah. lens. Fresnel. 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 Whatever, Fresnel yeah. That, yeah. that basically, that's essentially what that is. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's get let's get back to uh, I, I'm kind of in order to keep the possibilities within a discussionable area. Is, I'm gonna I'm gonna limit to the 35 millimeter for this part, um, just so <laughs> just so that I can keep my brain um, with within the within that area. If that's okay, you know, if it's not okay, well. I'll- I'll tr- I'll do my best to okay to uh, well okay to stick to if that. it's not okay I get the homemade camera part or I get the homemade part you can have the camera podcast there we go okay <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so um anyway my my uh, let's let's go back to uh, so you know we're, we so we, we we start with that that split screen then we go to the to the, or excuse me, start with ground glass. Then we go to the split screen. Then we go to that micro prism. And then, you know, it pretty much was that until the, uh, 35 millimeter autofocus cameras came along. And then they started putting in little LED, uh, confirmation lights. And, um, and that goes also with, um, uh, some later, um, uh, the later technologies like eye tracking. Um, there was the, um, sure. Or, or you know, or, the top level focus cannons. peaking. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, focus peaking sure. is a digital technology. It's a digital feedback loop. Um, isn't that, yeah, that's I, what I would argue. Yeah. I, yeah. I would argue that, um, a lot of times the autofocus is as well. Um, sure, absolutely. Maybe the very, f- yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, oh, go uh, ahead. I I just wanted to add. There was one more thing on your list on uh, the range finders. Sure, absolutely. The other focusing aid, um, and those can be either coupled to the lens or uncoupled, and both. I think each one is a feature with advantages. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, so so we go through that whole set of features i mean this is just for focusing aids for 35 millimeter cameras and those are all features now um you know phase detection versus contrast pixelation i don't even know what the current because i'm not uh, i'm not shopping for a uh i'm not shopping for a digital slr right now i'm not i'm not as up on what the the current technology is in that range um, but those things are continuing to be developed, but they are simply aids. They're simply features. Um, and, you know, and you can still make that exposure without them. Okay. Well, I, except, except this is something that re- I think I'm really interested in. You, 
depends. Uh, there are, so what you're describing these as features, and you're absolutely correct from a historical point of view, but there are plenty of people who think of them as essential. Absolutely. And, 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 and there are plenty of lenses for sale which have no manual focus ring anywhere on them or any right. aperture ring or anything. Or scale so focus. So you're yeah. entirely dependent on the camera to do that part for you in some in many instances right uh so for those cameras people who use those cameras manual focus is a feature that they don't have and might want and so you have a good point <laughs> so there. you're right yeah there it's you're right it's all features i mean once you've got a lens from there on it's all features right it, it, you know like like i'm a huge fan from from an automotive point of view i'm a huge fan of anti-lock brakes and airbags and um uh adaptive cruise control and bluetooth connecting you know so i can listen to podcasts on on the way um so uh oh, that stuff sounds cool <laughs> right right um i should get a newer car yes <laughs> um but the um well i've seen your truck so i'm thinking you're gonna get a new one pretty soon um <laughs> No way. No way. Okay. Yeah. Keep it, keep it going. Um, <laughs> keep it polluting. Um, <laughs> so, right. yeah. So anyway, uh, um, I, it, my point is my whole concept here is, you know, when we're, when you're building a camera, I'm going to bring it back to once what we talk about when you're building a camera, you're building a box to keep the dark in. You're building a lensing system. You're building a sensor system. And then anything else after that is you get to decide what features you want. You get to pile on the features. And now, are they essential to the function of your camera? Some of them are. Some of them are not. And it's, you know, and it's up to you to kind of go through those features and talk about, you know, what were... um you know, what uh, needs to be in there and what is convenient to be in there and what cost versus convenience is reasonable for your project. Um, so, uh, you know, I start thinking about those things of, you know, there, um, I'll go back to, I, I've mentioned it before, uh, Corey Cannon on the Lensless podcast talks about the single shot um camera with the idea that he likes going out and not not you know taking out a bunch of holders but you're you're going out to take one shot so you choose what that shot is so you know um film transport is not an issue with that camera right you um you just have to make it light tight when it's in a dark space when you load it you know and, um, you know, so, so those kinds of things, uh, I, I, that kind of attitude and approach, I think is very important, uh, to the camera maker. So, um, I have one, one more, one more comment yeah. to throw in, which is, which is that, uh, there are often instances where a feature that you might sort of wish you had will actually interfere with some other performance that you desire. And so you just rule it out because, the problems it will you know bring to your 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 design well, or your structure it, like a um uh you want aperture priority well that means that you have to have electronics in the camera um that, kind that of type thing, of yeah. thing yeah right. uh absolutely now um 
uh, I'm trying to think of another way of listening to what you just said. And that is the idea that one feature may get in the way of another feature. Um, So if you want a mirror box so that you're seeing, um, you know, and, and a pentaprism, you can't uh, do a view out that, well, I'm not sure you, you then need to view directly through the camera. I'm just, um, I'm just trying to, yeah, trying so to think through there, of those, those types of well, things the, where the one feature thing, might get in the way of another feature. So the, the biggest, the biggest problem with a mirror as a feature, uh, unless you see through the lens, that's nice, but it, it lengthens the camera. It makes your flange back distance longer. And it means you need specialized lenses designed for that specific flange back distance. So that's a limitation you might not want. Uh, okay. That a mirror brings it's it, it it you know by pushing the pushing this extra space between the the back of the lens and the film, uh, you can't just use a wide angle lens that would be really close. You have to you know add extra layers of glass to allow it to focus from farther away and leave room. Sure. For and uh, another way of looking at that is um, you were talking about um, a camera that you can pack into the mountains. Uh, you know, uh, features add weight almost almost without exception. A feature would add weight. So one of the features you want is weight. So those are, you know, uh, weight versus drag, right? Right, or, or, <laughs> or, lift or size. Can, can you fit it in your pocket and all, sure. all those things? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you Absolutely. work it with mittens on? <laughs> yeah. You know, how how is it with with mittens on? That that's well, a, a I real... I do have a solution to working actually... with mittens on, and that is to move to Florida. Well, so I used to um, sometimes take a little cheap point and shoot dive camera in the mountains because it was easy to operate with mittens on. Oh yeah, you know, okay. Those cameras have big, big buttons, <laughs> right? <laughs> that are easy to press, right? So uh, when we were developing this uh, this concept and we were doing a little bit of back and forth, um, Nick came up with this uh, this idea that there are features that he would like to see in a camera that really have not been developed yet. So do you want to talk about some of those? Well, so some of these things may exist, but they haven't been uh, really pushed or become mainstream. And we've talked about some of them already. Um, one, you know, things like an adjustable film advance so that you could advance the, the, a different amount of film, you know, should you so desire. And with that, it would be good to have an adjustable framing mask. So this would be a film advance system that allowed you to adjust the size of the format literally with every shot. Um, and, so that's and something we're gonna that be... hasn't been developed but we and, really like that idea. And, and we're actually going to be talking about that in a couple of minutes. So hang on if that's interesting yeah. to you. So so other new features um, that, that we also mentioned, my, my earlier one, uh, the question I asked you, a long right. exposure shutter timer. So one that is something that you can either just add on to any old mechanical camera or that you can... You know, something that would work well on a pinhole camera that doesn't require, right. you know, an extension cord, right? So, <laughs> you know, they um, uh, they make Mecha- a mechanical timer for long. Right, exposure. right, and and specifically mechanical because 
Um, uh, beginning with or battery or small battery. Well, that'd be fine. Okay, but not um. Uh, there there are those um, uh, cheap you know fifteen twenty dollar uh, intervolarometers, which is a hard word to say. Right. Um, you right. know that you can plug into it to a digital camera. Um, and those, you know, you can set the length of the exposure, the interval between the exposures, the number of exposures and all that type of thing, set up your camera, set that thing and walk away and come back at the end of the cycle and see if your camera's still there. Well, so all you need to do is all you need there is an actuator to push the shutter button and, and, and use that thing as a switch to turn the actuator on. And it, that's probably a very trivial thing if you know what you're doing. So this isn't going to be that hard of a problem to solve, but I still, I think it would be fun, especially for pinhole. So really simple camera with, and I like your simple guillotine idea a lot because it could be, it could be very minimal. Anyway, that's a good idea. So another one is anamorphic we've been talking a lot of, and I've been seeing really interesting examples of anamorphic pinhole cameras where there's a, a curved, a, a very strongly curved or conical or some sort of odd shape to the film plane. And I was thinking, well, what about an adjustable one? Like what about kind of, it's like the lens baby of film holders. Okay. Right? Sure. <laughs> so that, imagine that this, you know, the strip of film is, is held in such a way that you can flex it different amounts. Um, well, yeah, kind of like um, think about an uh, an old movie projector, the loop at the top mm -hmm. uh, just before right. it goes through the film gate. Uh, you got to have that mm -hmm. loop. Um, so yeah, that could be done. That could be done. I think so, fairly. So this, yeah, right. And then uh, adjustable lens elements is another idea. Like, well, what about? like a lens that you can really mess around with people flip lenses to get interesting effects. But what if you designed a lens where you could adjust the different length, but you know, the space between elements and the, and the, uh, which way the elements are, you know, just as right. like sort of, uh, a way to play with the optics, a lens designed to make that easy. That would be interesting. Sure. Um, sure. And then alternative apertures. That's another thing that people do a little bit have played with a little bit, but it, it's not something that people have built in as a feature like hey just stick any you know a card with any aperture you want in this oh yeah, yeah kind okay of thing, or know? or yeah, which would be fun or we, we we had talked about the rotary um shutter you could have a rotary right. aperture um there's a you could or there's, the... uh, oh one of our listeners uh posted it uh, a couple months ago on our uh, Flickr page, our Flickr group uh, discussion, our Flickr Flickr group, and uh, a rotary uh, multiple pinhole rotary device. Um, you know, you yeah. can do that with I've, apertures. I've, I've seen as those. Well. Yeah, sure. And I've se seen those with glass lenses, especially on, on the old movie cameras. Oh yeah, yeah, do that. yeah. And there was the yeah turret turret lenses or or microscopes. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was that the Canon so dial that did that as well, right? Um, so I want to know how the coffee maker got into that list though. There's right in the middle of that list oh, is well, coffee maker. <laughs> yeah. Every, that's something you need. Though, yes, right? absolutely. Mm -hmm. A <laughs> to figure out how to, how to make it kind of synergize with right. the photography part. Right. I don't know. Oh, well, caffeinol. Caffeinol. So <laughs> if you want, if you want to do an instant camera, right? Oh, you're going to be using instant, instant coffee in your instant camera. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly 
Okay. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so there are, I mean, you know, we talk about with, with current, um, you know, uh, current model digital cameras. I mean, they're all Wi-Fi and they've got apps and they've got, you know, all of those things for, uh, interchange or, uh, interaction. Um, but, you know, think about, think about the version of that from, um, you know, 1915 was, uh, you know, a barrel lens that, uh, that you twisted to change the focus. You know, I mean, that's the same yeah, kind right, of sure. cutting edge technology, uh, you know, that was all before the Urleica. My feeling about the modern cameras is that they have way too many features and they have so many features that it can be difficult to find the essential camera inside there somewhere. And or the essential feature the you want to find as the bird is flying. Yeah. And by the time you've learned all of the functions of one or two of these cameras, they're obsolete. You know, it, it's, it's, it certainly is overkill. Yeah. I would argue there are they're obsolete who, you know, sooner it, than that, but, <laughs> but yes, well, yeah, I think you're you, right. You I, I don't think I've ever learned. Yeah. The, the only, yeah. there's only one that I think I learned every feature of and then they, you know, changed it. So, yeah. yeah really so, matter. so anyway, uh, think of features, um, think about how you can, you know, you can work some in and you're, you know, you're, you're probably not even thinking of them as features, but, but really start to think about that. And maybe as you're building, start to think about whether or not you need that feature, whatever feature it is. Um, you know, like when I was first mm-hmm. building lens cameras, the first, one of the features that I was very resistant to throw away was uh, variable focus. And um, mm-hmm. and once I did, I was certainly not unhappy with the results. So, um, no, so yeah, great. really... One less, really, you don't have to think about it. Right. Um, uh, last, I mean, one of the last two episodes you were talking about a really interesting camera of, you want to met, you want to build a variable format, a hundred, you know, 135 film camera. So something that takes sprocketed roll film, uh, but you can change the length of the image on that film, uh, to go from a square to a panoramic format. And you described, you know, basically that was the, the, parameters of the camera that's what you really uh, most needed i would i would ask you to develop that um idea and describe it in more detail okay so um uh first of all what i really wanted was the um uh 645 leica but this is not the 645 leica so that'll have to wait for another day but uh the the concept that i had come up with um was the idea of a camera that would do, um, you know, the, the X pan standard wide, which is 24 millimeters high, 65 millimeters wide. And, um, but then it, you know, that's a, that's a single use kind of odd use, kind of limited use. Um, you know, you could certainly do effective portraits, but it's not an effective portrait camera. Um, right. so, you know, Without having to 
change the body, you know, without having to completely grab another camera, uh, and maybe pull the lens off this one and pull, you know, put it, you know, do it, do a lot of changeover. What could you do in the field to make a camera? Um, and these, these are the formats that I thought of. So, um, I'm going to start with a square 24 by 24 millimeter frame. So that's the, um, you know, the standard height of a 35 millimeter, uh, camera frame is 24 millimeters. Uh, so I would do a 24 by 24. Then I would do the 24 by 36, which is our standard, um, uh, standard 35 millimeter frame. Then, um, 24 by 48 just for a two to one because two to one is really uh, it makes it makes humans brains happy um you know just just like the square does um and um you know the 35 millimeter frame which is close to the golden mean i think it's a little bit off of it but it's very close to the golden mean yeah those those shapes make the human brain happy and then also go 24 by 60 five so that means that the first of all i have to start with a film gate that's 24 by 65 because you have to start with your widest and then mask off the masking off is no problem anybody in the world can figure out how to just have a little drop in mass for those sizes um the problem or, is, or even just have a have a, a window that slides like a a cover that slides from left to right. That would be also a very sure, simple way. Sure. To do it. Right. Um, so, um, the problem lies in the film advance. If you're going to, you know, if, if say you start with that, with that first frame, uh, the 24 by 24, well, you don't want to be counting. Okay. 24 by 24 to 48, um, so if I'm doing a 36, I have to do two of them and for 24 by 40, no, that would be two, uh, 20. Yeah. I would have to do two of them, you know, without having to, to, to use your brain. I don't want to have to count numbers of clicks. I don't want to, you know, do any of that. So this is what I came up with just to the right of most 35 millimeter film cameras is, is a set of sprockets. And that set of sprockets is usually the drive sprockets. Um, but they can be repurposed not as the drive sprockets. I can move the drive over to the take up reel, but uh, they can be counters. And, uh, this is very similar to what the, uh, the Mamaya, the Argus C3 uses. And, uh, Nick and I had talked about that and we both went out and got my, my, yeah, I just said Mamaya again. Argus C3s and we took them apart and looked at the mechanisms. So this is very similar to the mechanism for the Argus C3. Um, and what it does is it has, uh, that, that those sprockets run a spindle and that spindle can do one turn and then it stops. Okay. So it does that one turn and, and it stops and uh, you know, there's just a, a simple drop in release mechanism. So, uh, just think of a disc and cut a little notch out of the top of the disc. And then as you spin that disc, it's going to come back around and you're going to have a gear that stops it. 
So I'm going to have to have some pressure and something that drops into that, that place. And the, the whole concept here is that I can do, it's just number of, of, um, sprocket holes. Okay. You just have to count the sprockets. Like for a 35 millimeter frame, it's an, it's an eight sprocket distance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with each one of these different frame sizes, you have a certain number of, of sprocket differences. So what you need are different numbers of sprockets on different size spindles that would turn just a one 360th rotation. And that one 360th rotation would then be caught. So, you know, would, you would have that, that item, you know, the stop drop into the notch and then, um, and that would stop the frame advance. You would then, um, cock the shutter, you know, frame it, shoot it. Sure. Release, sure. I, I can release the it. advance yeah. and then go to the next one. So the problem is now it's not, it, it, it's not the most elegant solution ever in that we would ideally want to just chain, flip a dial, right? Um, flip a dial that would um, tell us, uh, or let me me say this, flip a dial and it would count a different number of sprockets. I don't know how to do that. So my solution, oh, go ahead. So I'm thinking about it and I'm visualizing it. This is the actual toothed wheel that's on top of the spindle that you're talking about. Right. Well, but the, so, so when you, so what you're talking about doing essentially the simple version would be that, say, that shaft would have a square end and you would just pull off one toothed spin sprocket and drop a different one on that was larger and diameter. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, yeah, you could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, But then you have a problem that the axis has to move. The axis and, has you know, to move, right. And the right. spindle has to move. Right, right. and, you, and, and for so, the, the uh, X-pan distance, the 65 millimeter, you're talking a pretty good diameter on that spindle. So big wheel. Right. So my concept is to create cartridges. So when I'm building the camera, I design the cartridge, you know, in the size of the biggest spindle for that camera, whatever, you know, in this case, 65 millimeters. And in that, in that cartridge is the, uh, is the spindle and the mechanism that comes up on top of the camera and shows you the rotation and has the little release. Okay. So Mm -hmm. the, and then those spindles are interchangeable. So, Mm -hmm. or excuse me, that cartridge is interchangeable. So you would get a camera with multiple cartridges, multiple masks. You're going to have to open this camera. It's not going to be, you know, this is, uh, we're not doing electronics. I'm not going to be able to flip down the little panoramic, you know, mask. Um, you're going to have to choose per roll, but you're going to slip in the mask for the size that you're, for the frame size that you're going to shoot. And then you're going to s- drop in the spindle for the frame size that you're going to shoot. And then go ahead and, you know, uh, load your film and uh shut up the camera and move on um so now this is can i make a quick 
proposal yeah, absolutely. for an alternative absolutely. design. It, yeah. While you were describing that, I just pictured an alternative, which would be, what if you used the largest size sprocket wheel all the time? In other words, one that would one complete revolution would give you your 65 millimeters. Right. Okay. So there's a picture right on top of the camera. Um, there's a, a wheel that corresponds to the sprocket wheel directly beneath it inside the camera. And that wheel on the top, one complete revolution is going to be your longest length, your X-pan length. But you could have a movable stop right there on top of the camera for all the smaller sizes. And this disc that I'm talking about is a thumb wheel that that's actually the film advance mechanism. You don't bother with a lever. You just turn that big wheel until it hits the stop you've set for the length film. So that's almost no moving parts, really, really simple. And you could have almost an infinite number of frame lengths. And then to go with that, instead of a drop-down mask, what I suggest is you have a curtain that you can pull from left to right. So imagine that you advance the film, or from right to left. Imagine you advance the film, and this time you decide to imagine it, to move it 24 millimeters. Then you're going to just manually, uh, with a with a you know a little lever or something, pull this curtain over till so it's eclipsing all but the last 24 millimeters before you know the edge of the film gate. And so you basically have just a a, a mask. You move back and forth, and it could just be a curtain rolling up on a you know yeah you know, you, a little spool. You could do that. You would have to have two curtains because you really do need to. Bring it in from either It'll be side. centered. Yeah. Well, you'd have to move the lens over too. Like so, you. Yeah, moving you, the lens. Your over. lens would have to slide over. <laughs> yeah. And, and you could, but you could do that. I mean, like, that's getting more complicated. Yeah. Though, you're right. That that's getting considerable. Uh, so two curtains is another yeah. perfectly good solution. I like two curtains. Um, but what I'm getting at is, you could do a design relatively simply. I think that would allow you to change from shot to shot, which I think would be really cool. From shot to shot. So that means you would exactly. have to be able to move the curtain from the outside of the body exactly. with with it light tight. That would be Correct. that might be a little bit difficult. Um Oh, you can figure it out. Uh yeah. I have faith. <laughs> Just all right, we'll put that on the back burner. But I'm, That's plan I'm gonna B. put that on the back burner. All right. I do kind of like the idea of um of a single disc of, the, you know, a single spool uh, of the right size, single sprocket uh, of the right size, and different discs for the top. There's something to be said for that. Right. Um, or, or a movable stop. You could simply have a movable stop. So, or, uh, What do you, you mean you by know, a movable whatever... stop? Okay, so picture that disc. It's turning around. It has a little pin sticking off. That's the stop, right? And when that... When it makes the full 360 degrees, it's going to hit a stopper pin, right? Right. But you could move that. I mean, it could just be like like cribbage, you know, when you, you could pull out the little peg and stick it in a different hole to, to create a shorter distance of travel the next time you wind. Okay. So the, the key is that a single revolution gives you your maximum length. And then you can then, uh, from then forward, you can put the stop uh, so that it won't make a full revolution to get the shorter sizes. So all okay. you need is an adjustable thing that stops that rotation and that, and then a one way ratchet on this thing and you're done. Like that's the whole mechanism. So, I mean, that's much simpler than replacing cartridges and all that. Um, it is, it is. I do could, agree. Yeah. And you could, and it, 
if you're going to make a if you're going to put in a dedicated mask which i can see arguments for that because it's probably going to do a cleaner job than my curtains so if you're going to put in a dedicated mask you could also have like your stop could be like a little screw that you screwed into a hole so that it would stay put for you know for the oh no it couldn't do that you'd have to be able to move it every time because you'd have a new starting point a new relative starting point so yeah it would with, need with, to be the cribbage with your system, system where you would well, actually, actually, I you, you, I'm going to hybrid. Hard. You just have marks all the way around. Yeah. I'm well. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hybridize your the system that you're talking about is instead of having to move it ahead. And did I move it ahead? Did I not move it ahead? Did I? You know, that that right, whole thing. Right. Right. Um, you could have different top n top knobs with different numbers of stops. So you would have mm -hmm. for the, for the 60, you know, uh, well, uh, yeah, but they don't necessarily all evenly go into each other. That's part of the problem is so here's how mathematics. You, here's how you do it. The mathematics you do it. don't you have necessarily a start, work. You have a, you have a single uh, thingamy, which has a, both the start and the stop. So, so you, you just, pick it up and replace it, you know, so, so you just have to have enough little registration holes that will fit all the circumstances. And then you don't have to remember where you started and stopped. You just keep moving it so that the A yeah. peg is in the beginning or, and then the B peg was always going to be the right distance away. Cause it's a one piece or, unit, or you could right? do, you know, the orange hole, the orange hole, the orange hole, the orange hole. Yeah. 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 That right, type of thing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, there, there is that. I think that, that there's, there's mm -hmm. certainly an option there. Um, I need to, mm -hmm. to kind of figure, uh, really envision it. Uh, but my, my idea was, um, you know, a different disc, uh, would have different numbers. So it's basically of holes. geared differently each time. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you're just gearing, right. um, you know, then, and mm -hmm. because all that, all that sprocket, you know, it's when those, you know, when that, uh, film goes across those sprockets. All it's doing is just counting the holes. It's not necessarily counting the distance. Mm -hmm. It's counting the holes, you know. Um, right. And right. so that would be that. That that's definitely a possibility. Here's another. Here's another. I'm going to throw one more at you really quick. Uh -huh. You know those old drill presses that have the uh, this the stack of V belt pulleys, and you can they're they work as a transmission by moving a belt up and down. Yeah, you mean so you you mean from the yeah, just like on from a the typical drill press outside, you know? Okay, anyway, go on. Yeah, no, just yeah. a typical drill press, you know. So it's just V belt pulleys. Well, you could do the same thing on a on this camera, and each set of pulleys would correspond to the right advance for a particular one, and you could literally just move a rubber band, you know, from one set of pulleys to the other. On the uh, inside so that, of that's the camera, another. though, that's the that's the problem. No, I, don't I think was you picturing it on the outside. the outside. Yeah, sure you could. Yeah. It would just look funny. <laughs> yeah, it would look funny. Uh, I, I'm not worried so much of, of look funny. I'm thinking of consistent and durable use, um, that type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so one of the things that I wanted to talk about, I'm going to talk, uh, we have another section, um, where we're going to talk about what our current builds are. And I'm still working on a 35 millimeter, um, pinhole camera that shoots square images and I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty close to what I would say production run on it. Um, 
And uh, one of the things that I have gone through, maybe, you know, okay, for the, let's just say, for the the winding knob, this is, this winding knob that I have is probably about my 16th or 17th winding knob, not necessarily on this camera, but on all the cameras that I've designed, you know, 16 or 17 winding knobs, um, and how to transmit the energy from that knob to the shaft that then, you know, uh, drives the film. Um, uh, let me see some, some of the other things I have a, a magnetic shutter, um, on the front. It's, you know, it's a pinhole. So it's essentially, mm-hmm. uh, I have a, a magnetic cover for the pinhole and you just pull the magnetic cover off and that's taken me eight or 10 iterations. Um, so this, this, you know, multi-format camera, you know, just the iterations of the spindle is going to take me months, you know? Um, and you know, one of the things that's nice is that I do have the access to the 3d printers. I have a little tiny one at home and then I have, um, a larger one at work, but without those, I just, I can't imagine how long, if I had to send these things off and wait, you know, wait a week and a half for a part to come back, um, and to test it, um, you know, just to find out, oh, that just needs to be a 10th of a millimeter smaller. So it'll actually fit smoothly inside that other object. Um, you know, uh, that's just, so anyway, uh, my, my point on that, uh, on that all is this is a long, you know, they talk about stretch goals in, um, uh, you know, in, in, in development. This is definitely, you know, the stretch goal is that it will work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, you know, I, uh, over the, over the weekend, I, you know, it took me forever, but I figured out how to create, um, you know, a spindle gear because I was using, uh, you know, meshed gears as, um, uh, as sources, um, that are already in the, uh, in the software, you know, you can just dial up a, get this mesh gear, get that mesh gear. And, um, and they, and they don't have, you know, well, the, the, that's really nice for mesh gears later on when I need a mesh gear system. But, um, for a sprocket, you know, that's not at all what I needed. So it took me, took Mm -hmm. me quite a bit of time to, to, to work through that. So, so we have some developments, um, uh, you know, ahead of us. So, and you might be able to, to just steal a, a, you could also conceivably just steal a whole spindle out of a camera, although you want the bigger. Yeah. We got to start with that 65. So I'll just, uh, I'll just, you know, drop 3,500 bucks on an X pan and, uh, Oh, I, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I could get one of the Fuji's for 2,500, I think. Um, right. right, So it's an identical camera, but, um, you know, and all, all made by Cosina, right? Um, so not sure. Yeah, I think they are. I, I may be wrong about that. Don't quote me, but I uh, somewhere I, I remember the back of my head that they're Costina. So talk about um, uh, y- you had a uh, a system that you were wanting to talk about as well. Um, uh, it, it talk about the well. So 
you know, so I'm not, here's what I think. Um, you've described your, the focusing, um, you know, different kinds of focusing features and, and you described a camera you want to make, but I kind of, I was curious to what features you feel like that variable, um, format needs in addition to, so you've got a, an idea for camera that you can adjust the format. Yeah. Uh, with 35 millimeter film, but I still don't know if you're going to mess around with focusing or yeah. a viewfinder or how you're going to control exposure, what kind of lens. So like, I'm curious about what features you want to put on that camera. So with that, uh, that first requirement. Right. Um, so I, the, the thing that I think, uh, that I have to do is, um, uh, you know, the, the the stuff that Hamish and Pentamicron were publishing uh were posting a couple of weeks ago um where uh you know they used a Bronica ETR for the Pentamicron um mm-hmm. panorama right um and right cuz you need a wide uh, field so, of view to to cover or a wide image circle to cover that right. uh panorama right. right so so you need you need that kind of um a lens and a 40 millimeter, uh, would be almost ideal in that, you know, it's just short normal for, for regular, uh, 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. 24 by 36. It's a little yeah. bit long. It would be not quite portrait, uh, length for, it'd be about a 60, 65 millimeter lens on that 24 by 24 frame. On a 24 by 48, we're going wide, you know, it's running, you know, that's about a 35 millimeter. And then mm-hmm. for a full wide, um, uh, you know, panorama, that gives it, that, you know, a nice, and, a, wide. A nice yeah. and wide image. So I think that the idea of using kind of, a, and that acts kind of as a universal lens because, uh, you know, it takes care of. Uh, again, the aperture and the shutter as well, uh, all in one sitting on a, a, probably an M65, um, helical and, uh, you know, and, right. uh, uh, yeah, I could make my own, but I'm going to not hurt. my. So brain. how are you, how is it going to be scale, scale focus then? Or? Scale, I think, you know, scale focus. So that means there, there are a couple of things about this, um, uh, that means that the back has to open and I have done one back opening camera before. Generally I do top loading cameras because it's a lot easier. And if I was German, I would do bottom loading cameras because I would be German. Right. Um, but the, mm-hmm. I, I have to have a back loading camera because I need that back to open if for nothing else to check the focus. Um, and then do oh, while you're building it. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, so that, well, you, has you know, to also open. for changing masks, too. for changing yeah. masks, I mean, it'd be a lot easier and it's, yeah, yeah. and opening the back is much easier for, um, for loading film. Um, mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, and if I really want to do this right, I would have a pressure plate with, you know, a leaf spring. um, I would have, uh, multiple shoes, um, uh, you know, one, uh, at least one for a viewfinder, one for, uh, an, an exposure, you know, a meter, 
Um, and maybe, um, you know, uh, whatever else, uh, you know, you could theoretically, uh, you know, it's going to be wide enough that I could have, you know, three different, um, uh, three different, um, finders, Cold you know, shoes. Yeah. yeah right. No. Well, no, I'm saying just finders. Um, so sitting in cold shoes. So, and I could have oh, a fourth I see. One, two, three. Oh, right. 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 And the, so you could and just the slide I... your eye back and forth. Right. Right. You know, yeah. Play it like a harmonica. Um, the, right. The... Or you, or you could do the, or you could do the mask method where you have just one good viewfinder and then different size masks for it, which a lot of, yeah. you know, Mamiya used to do that. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, if I found something with, with reasonable bright lines that, you know, you could do, um, you know, you could do some equivalents with, um, but the, yeah. you know, so, so those are, you know, um, it's gotta have, you know, a really robust, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to, tripod mount. Um, and, mm. and so that's going to take a little bit of designing because, um, you know, the super gluing in the, the quarter inch nut isn't, it's not an elegant solution. Let's just say that, um, you know, so there are, you know, there, there are lots of different, uh, different things, you know, and some of them actually need to come before the design of the film advance system, uh, and the film advance measuring system. Okay. Have you ever used those glue in nuts before we lose that moment? Oh, you know, you can get them from cabinet supply places there. It's like a special, uh, threaded insert that's designed to be glued into a, Oh yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah. Those work really well. So you need a thicker base, you need a thicker base on your camera, but you can right. have something just protruding down, right. which usually is helpful anyway with tripods, you know, to have and, a little protrusion of, so that. One of the things that I've done with um, my uh, camera so far is I kind of, I, I build from the film gate out. Um, so, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I build the film gate. I, I, I put, put the film gate on there. Um, and then I start, uh, and I usually I put film cans or or spindles, uh, or 120 spindles, depending on the size. Um, and, and so I end up with, with relatively small, thin walled cameras, um, that where the outside of the camera really reflects what the inside of the camera is. Um, and, and I think that I need to move beyond that. Because while there is yeah, something that's model to be said T. for that's that, model T thinking, right? It is, it is, <laughs> right. it's absolutely right. model T thinking, right? Um, but you know, that's right. the elegant design to a certain extent. It doesn't create elegance, mm-hmm. but it is an elegant design. So, um, so right. that that that's a component. Uh, I I want it to be stylized. I want it to be styled, not stylized. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so that you know there, uh, and uh, okay. I want on the left and on the right, I want there to be, uh, you know, like a grip, a grip, you know, a place where your hand can really hold it. Um, uh, I want there to be, and we, we had talked about this actually earlier in the week. I want it to be a camera where a right eye dominant or a left eye dominant person can use with, with no penalty for either. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, and right. and I suppose if and I'm doing the finder that, on the shoe, that's, that's basically right. Yeah. Then you just put one a shoe at each side, and you're set. Right, right. That's that's some yeah. of the idea. So now, but and except maybe for a trigger finger, I like your idea of grips on both sides. And I guess if it was the typical thing where you use a um, yeah cable release, you know, cable release, right. then you could just run it in either left or right. Yeah, and, and I could just have a holder too. on both sides and. You know, that can be part mm-hmm. of that grip is, you know, a hole for yeah. the cable release to go down through. So, um, you know, those are those are some of the features that I want. Um, uh, and I want it to be other than black, but I don't really have an option for that uh, because the material I will be building with is, um, you know, if I, if it's going to be opaque, it's going to be black. So you could uh, paint it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried p- painting some of this. I need to really learn how to paint this kind of plastic because it's yeah. There's probably some, yeah. the problem is that you know it's like you know if you think about concrete that's poured in poured in layers, you know, um, you get ridges, you know, or, right. or you know, or if it's poured within a form, you get those kind of the ridges between the boards. Um, mm-hmm. That um, you know, so it's not a really smooth surface. It's not a real yeah, you, but surface. You, surface. There, there will be some kind of thing you can prime it with. Yeah, uh, that'll fill, and then you know, I mean, it's I, just, it's just work. I bought, but, yeah. I bought a Krylon um, plastic primer, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would use something that you can brush on. Oh, that's an idea. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, then, then you have, that gives you you can work with much thicker paint. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, that so. That seems like all the basic feature things are pretty well followed, really logically from yeah. the initial one extravagant feature, which is the variable format. And um, and once again, if anybody has any ideas uh, on what features I should add, uh, you know, uh, s- uh, send us an email. Um, uh, we'll have that at the end of the show once again. But you know, send me an email. Send me a, a message on Instagram or Flickr, and. Um, uh, or post it in, um, uh, you know, our forums. Um, so, uh, so the other thing I, I like about your design here is that you've made it simple enough that you can put all your energy into the part that doesn't that no one else has ever done before, which is yeah, you would think that variable, <laughs> infinitely variable advance, and I think we're really close to a workable design that could be pretty simple. And I think it's yeah. actually a really great idea. And I'd like to to build something like that into a, a 120 roll film back because they don't have the sprockets. So you've got a whole other problem to right. solve there. Um, but if you build it as a roll film back, you only have to solve it once and then you can stick it on a lot of different Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Good, good thinking. <laughs> uh, good thinking on that. So... Tell me about what you've been doing to your Nikonon Scamera. Well, I finally took the time to take it apart and sort of see what I was up against. And uh, so I I opened up the top, which was actually kind of a pain because there was three screws to remove. That was easy. But the way it was set up, I couldn't figure out how to get the, the film counter knob off. And the only thing I could 
really come up with was to kind of crumple the plastic uh-huh. window to the film counter so that I could force it through the, the top and pull the top off. And then the top was still attached by a soldered flash cord, but I was able to set it aside and look at how the thing works. Uh-huh. And I couldn't see any way into, I was trying to find a way into, you know, unscrew the lens. I was fantasizing that it could be removed from the body. I couldn't see any way in from the top and I couldn't see anything I could improve in there. And a lot of things were, looked really easy to break. So I just put it back together and left that alone. That's uh, uh, that. just what I did with the Olympia. All right. And then I opened the bottom up and there was the lead. I took it out uh, because I didn't, to me, it's better lighter. So, and, and actually the lead wasn't as heavy as I expected. Like the camera still has some weight. It doesn't, it, it isn't completely ridiculous with the, with the lead gone. So I took the bullet out, put that back on, and then I looked really hard at the inside, and it looks like the kind of structure that was snapped together. And there is, like, I couldn't see any non-destructive way to get to the back of the lens through the back of the camera. So I also left that alone. But while I was in there, I noticed something I hadn't noticed before, which is the film gate is strongly curved. Like, not just a little, but really strongly curved. Kind of like, picture the picture tube on an old, really old black and white TV, like how curved that is. That's about how curved it, this is. And it is on is. both so it's, And also on the uh, uh, pressure plate had the matching curve. So it, it looked like it was going to do a really good job of holding the film in a very precise uh, and dramatic curve as it passed in front of the lens. And that maybe explains why that really terrible single element lens produces pretty decent pictures on this camera. They've, I'm imagining that that lens has a really, really curved field of focus and that they've just simply bent the film to match it <laughs> so that there will be a relatively, it's like, it's not quite sharp, but it's even across the whole frame. And that's in a way that's more striking about this camera than the fact that it's just a crappy lens and it's not all that sharp. It's like you look at a lot of crappy cameras with flat film planes, like, like Holga, for instance, and you really see this strong fall off in sharpness as you go out to the corners. And sometimes that looks really, really nice. Like if you're taking the kind of picture where you're focused just on this subject and everything else is just fading away. That's that's uh, the way my the, uh, the, debonair is. But it goes. Yeah, same. It's it has the center which is out of focus. Then it has a ring of focus and then the edges are out of focus as well. So an extra level of horribleness. Right. But, but this, but this system, it's, I think it's pretty effective because it's basically making it for a certain evenness. So like the unsharpness is consistent from corner to corner, which in a funny way is actually a strength. It's a, anyway, so that, that's one more reason that I'm a little, uh, it'll be a bit of an adventure putting a normal lens on the camera because now we're going to have potentially a flatter field of focus shining on this curved film plane. So it might work against against it, but we'll see. Uh, the lens that I'm planning to put on is from an old Russian Lomo. It's a 40 millimeter. It's a pretty good lens, but who knows? It might be, uh, it might be that it'll be fine. It's not very fast. Um, it might be yeah, and in fact, um, we'll, we'll find out. It, yeah, it, it might have been, um, it's a triplet. I'm pretty sure it's a triplet lens. And mm-hmm. uh, and maybe it corrects for that, and maybe it doesn't, and maybe you'll get some interesting effects. Yeah, and if nothing else, it it will be, it, it, the worst case scenario is it'll have really strong focus uh, 
either on the edge or in the center at your choosing. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, it'll be something to work with. It'll be an experiment. Uh, So that's kind of fun. And then uh, what else? Uh, Oh, and so that's really, really all I did is kind of make a plan. I did figure out how to get the lens apart. It turns out you can't, like I found this by yanking, but it turns out that (laughs) you can sort of grab the, uh, the cone that surrounds the actual lens itself and twist it, uh, unscrew it. It's screwed in. So there's a little metal, what's called a beauty ring on most, most lenses that you can pop out with a pointy object and then you can unscrew that cone and then the whole front of the lens comes off. Oh, okay. And what's left, what's left is this kind of wart sticking off the camera that has the shutter and the aperture control in it. That would be a wart on a wart, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> and that word appears to be all one piece with the camera. And the only way to get it off is going to be to saw it off. So I'm going to try sawing it off, but leave a rim of, you know, of an edge to glue a new mount for the new lens. Okay. And I'm thinking what I'll probably do, the way that lens is meant to be mounted is it's it's got two screw holes. It's supposed to be screwed from behind. But what I'll probably do is just like get some old like vernacular lens caps or something and create a little lens board and screw it to the lens, you know, the little plastic cap, and then glue the plastic cap over the, the hole in the cap oh, okay. so that it'll have a fairly sturdy sport. And then in, in the process of all that, I'll try and get it the right distance away for infinity focus. So um, all right, that's my plan, and we'll see how it works. All right. Um, my update is I have done nothing with my scamera. Um, I did... Um, process one of the images um from the olympia with the uh, minolta lens on it and when you mean the the free lensing experiment well, or did you go no this was this was the mount this was with um the uh extension tube mount uh it, it is taped in there it's not it's not glued in yet but it's taped in so there. is that the minolta 50, 50 minolta 50 51.7 and right. um now, I, I have just realized that um, I submitted this to the uh, Sunny 16 podcast Cheap Shots Challenge, and I identified it as a Nikonon, not an Olympia. Oh, they're going dis- to disqualify me just for that, don't you think? No, I, no. Either <laughs> one of those cameras is as cheap as it gets. That's right. Like, yeah. <laughs> in fact, you could probably have both of them and still be within their... Uh, right. Yeah, you have a point there. You have a point there. the 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 lens itself was uh, was part of a ten dollar camera bundle. So, uh, so I'm go. well well underneath. Um, now it is my third cheap shots challenge in three challenges, third third cheap shots challenge camera in three challenges. But right. um, because that's because because they keep breaking. Yeah, because I get is that what the problem is? Because they're all right. So here cheap. <laughs> this is where you this is where you prove the Olympia because I know that the principles of you know the principal sunbeams have been going through cameras like nobody's business as well right. in the cheap shots challenge because they keep breaking. So now your goal is to is to run that Olympia for the entire rest of, <laughs> of the challenge. Yeah, keep that thing alive. Yeah, um, right? either that or take a hammer to it. I mean, I could do that. No, 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 never. <laughs> I'm getting close, man. I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. 
you know, you've got the Nikon on. Maybe you should just go. Yeah, on. right. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's 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 leave that scourge of our existence. And uh, what what else have you been doing? Oh, I talked about the um, the little uh, one thirty five pinhole camera. I've uh, I posted it on Instagram pictures of it and pictures from it on Instagram. Those those are great pictures. The, I was really impressed. Yeah. Um, and it, and I, I suddenly understood when I saw your photos why thirty five millimeter is good for pinhole. It, it just dawned on me. It's real obvious, but it, I hadn't thought. Okay. This allows me to shoot with a normal field of view and still have the pinhole really close to the film. Right. So you get a nice bright. Well, you know, it is a wide uh, field of view. It's got an 11 millimeter focal length right now. Um, but I can, you know, part of the deal with this, um, the shutter mount um, is that I can make those essentially any distance from 11 meter, millimeters out to, you know, whatever uh, I could. You know. But it's but it's but it's tolerable at thir- with a thirty-five millimeter film. Yes. I mean, if you put eleven millimeters from six by six, that would be ridiculous. Yes, you know, absolutely. So you probably just get a circle. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, uh, that's the whole point. I mean, other than the other obvious things that the film is small and the cameras are tiny and cute, it just that's the thing. You that would be the way to make it. Anyway, I was impressed. The quality was good, and I realized. That you can do things with the small formats that you you can't do with the bigger and ones. and while it's a little taller and a little less wide, it's about the size of the Rolly thirty five uh, pocket mm, cameras. Nice. You know, the world's smallest mm-hmm. thirty five millimeter cameras. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's camera. it's right within that range. So it would definitely be a um, uh, you know it, it's definitely a pocketable uh, camera. So. Um, that yeah, that's what I've uh, what I've been working on most uh, this week, other than trying to figure out the um, the deal with the uh, variable uh, size frame. Or were you working on anything else? Yeah, I kind of tried to get everything sort of caught up a little because um, I felt like I've neglected some things. So I actually took a little time and uh, improved the way that the front standard works on my homemade field camera the conversion from the old crown graphic that i converted into a field camera i got that working a lot better just by messing around with nuts and bolts till it, you know the configuration's better um so i'm going to be using that again and then i have uh i, I shot a roll with your 67 pinhole uh, that you sent out to me um, which i managed to attach to a i think it's a, it was on a six by six film back that i have um so it'll I think I took 10 six by six images. Anyway, it's, it was fun to shoot. I really like how small that camera is. And I like, I really like the, this idea of the little cartridges that you just slip onto your roll film back to, you know, to have a different, different focal length, different camera. It's a really great idea. It's like the film back is the, is the, is the basis of the system and the cameras are the accessory. Right. <laughs> I really kind of right. like that. You and know? you can shoot, um, uh, you know, you can go, you can take that film back and, you know, put it on your um, uh, Mercury and go out and shoot, you know, on the same Well, role. yes. Right. Or, or you know, I'm imagining making, you're going to make more of these 67. Sure. And if you make one for a 90 millimeter lens and one for a 65 millimeter lens and one for this pinhole and one for that pinhole. Then right. you can just slot these things on, take a picture, and they can be yeah. super simple because each each one can be 
just designed to do that one thing instead of accommodate other focal lengths or any of those you know, other issues. I think it's a really good idea. And then the and then you should make them all like sized so that they nest together like a Russian doll, so that you can <laughs> fit them in your in your pack. <laughs> sure. And then so what else have I done? Uh, I got that done. Um, and then I got my uh, Hasselblad uh, pin blad, the pinhole Hasselblad conversion uh, fixed up and working right. So I had just taped it together before, and that didn't last. And I so I bought this stuff that I've heard about I never experimented with called Sugru. And it's essentially, it's like, it's a similar to working with epoxy putty, but it's a silicon or no, uh, some sort of rubber-like substance. I don't know if it has silicon in it. Anyway, it's, a, it's basically a rubber that you, you get in a little packet and it's different colors and it's like a silly putty consistency. And you just, you have about 30 minutes to shape it. And it also is a glue. Uh, and it takes a, supposedly a day to set up, but it, it starts to grip pretty soon. So the idea is you can mold a shape with it and then stick it on and it'll stay. Or you can use it as like a space filling glue. So in this case, I was fitting the uh, bayonet mount off an old Hasselblad lens onto this shutter. And there was a pretty good mechanical fit, but a little bit of slop. And then I just rolled up a little snake of this putty stuff and wrapped it around and squished the two parts together. And then I took a little uh, dental spatula and, you know, just kind of shaped the joint and tightened it up and then just let it, you know, glue overnight, let it, the stuff set. And it made a very strong joint, but it has a little bit of kind of a rubbery play that actually I find like, it feels like it's going to hold up to a lot of abuse. I think it's a really good solution. Is it um, um, uh, opaque? Yeah. Okay. And and people use it on cameras quite a bit. For for instance, if you have a camera where your hand doesn't grip it well enough, people will like shape a little ridge out of this stuff and stick it right on and you know create a better hand. Oh, grip. okay. Um so if people have been using it in that kind of a way, I think for our purposes, gluing together camera parts that weren't meant to go together, I think it's going to be a really useful uh uh material for that and Anyway, so that worked. Um, now I have a nice solid connection between this shutter and the Hasselblad, and I uh, put, you know, have a four mil, point uh, four millimeter pinhole on there, and uh, snapped the shutter onto the camera and took it down to the beach with a little tiny tabletop tripod and took a bunch of photographs. So I have a roll of film to do oh, okay. to find out how well it worked. But it was fun to use, and I liked using the uh, proper shutter with a cable release. Um, I just set it on bulb and used a locking cable release because it's hard to it's hard to screw up because when it's in the shutter's open you know when it's when you unlock it it's closed so you don't get confused like you can with T there's no way to peer in through the pinhole and see if the shutter's right. open or closed right. so <laughs> so I found that um, that shutter to be pretty useful and I think with uh, shorter focal length cameras that um, have shorter exposure times i might even end up using some of the slow speeds on it all right uh, uh let's see and that reminds me there is a source of, of shutters with some time control but mamiya 645 has up to eight seconds built in to their shutter and that's you know that's a shutter you could imagine maybe could be dissected and put into some other yeah camera. but isn't that so a um uh focal plane uh yeah, yeah okay 
In body, yeah, yeah. Okay, so and then the um, uh, the final thing that I did uh, was I looked at all my. I tried to. I decided I better find out what cameras had film in them because I had an idea. It was a little out of hand, and I had no idea. <laughs> so I actually did a catalog of it turned out thirteen different films and counting different formats uh, were in thirteen different cameras without like me really even remembering half of it. So now I have this this chart and if i want to shoot a certain film i can go oh that's in that camera and go find it (laughs) (laughs) i instead of like loading yet another film into yet another camera yeah i have um uh, i have kind of a rule that uh i try not to put cameras back in the cabinet if they have film in them uh because then they'll sit there for a long time um, yeah, but I don't have room to have 13 cameras laying around my Yes. <laughs> so, so so right now I have film in about five cameras So uh, that are out. Actually, I have three of them in a camera bag. We're going to do uh, – I'm going to take my digital uh, camera class to uh, – my school owns a, um, a – like a little hobby farm uh, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of equestrian um, – uh, uh, programs uh, at our school uh where we live in a in, in a horse area and um uh so we're going to go out there and uh shoot uh for a specific photo contest that um and to, uh as advertisement for that campus as well uh and the uh and the ag programs that we have the equestrian and ag programs so um i have my um uh, Bronica, um, six by six, um, ECTL. Uh, I have, uh, my Leica, uh, M2 with something in it. I don't remember what film is, uh, is in it, but I have it written on the bottom. I put, uh, I put a post-it note on the bottom and then tape the post-it note to the bottom of most cameras. Um, if, unless they have a little reminder thing on the back. Oh, I always do yeah. that. I always do that. Um, um, and then I have, oh, I have my digital camera. And then I have, uh, my, uh, six by six reality so subtle in there. And I forget what film. Oh, I think I actually have, I'm going to spend some of my, uh, Neopan Acros, um, uh, out in that location. So that's what I have coming up. Well, that sounds really good. Yeah. So I'm not even going to list all the stuff I discovered, but. I do. I would like to note that with what I do have roll film back with film in it, a couple of them, and they wander around from camera to camera. And if I want any idea what was going on, I have to take notes. Like I can get away with sort of sloppy notes with, you know, a, a, a normal camera where the film is stuck in one camera because all I have to do is make a few, note a few frames. You know, I took a picture of this and that, and then I'll be able to identify it later. But when you're moving from camera to camera, there's no way you've got to actually write, you know, frame number four was this. And and if you don't, you know, you don't learn as much. Yeah. It can be hard to it can be hard to tell how you got. And there my brain works. Um, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, there's the the um, photographer's journal uh, that Shoot Film Co, uh, you know, has. And a lot of people talk about that. And I'm just not, my brain's never going to do that. Uh, uh, my shooting style is never going to do that. Uh, I, uh, I can't, uh, you know, that, that's, that kind of organization 
is um, uh, is going to slow me down in a way that uh, that I won't have an enjoyment in my photography. So um, so I that's one of the things that you mean right. You're you're talking about writing in writing a in a notebook or making notes yeah. on so, any of that so stuff. So if if I am sh- I'm only going to be writing frame by frame in a notebook if I'm using a roll film back um oh I'm okay really trying to te- okay. test sure i'm trying to test what that camera can do uh, i want to know later what happened now if i'm shooting you know with a 35 millimeter slr i'm not going to write all that yeah. stuff down i'm just going to make a couple of notes so that i know which film went with which camera i often can't tell what lens i use because i'm not good enough at writing notes to you know but but I'll tell you if you if you are trying to figure out a home what's going on with a, ho- a homemade camera and you're using a roll film back you there's I can't remember well enough if I don't write it down I'm screwed it takes me quite a while to get around to developing the film by right. the time I get it back I won't have any idea what I was up to so that's my memory and and notes are the only way I can fix that. one of the things that I do um, you know assuming that. Um, that I have not switched out lenses or anything like that um, is when I am done with a roll of film, I roll it back. So the leader's still out. Um, and then I take a push pin and scratch into the emulsion, what the camera is. And if it's an mm-hmm. interchangeable, what the lens is. And um, uh, you know, usually the edge of the film will tell me what the film is. Uh, sometimes, you know, like there's some films that are kind of anonymous or um, mm-hmm. are are less well marked, like um, five yeah, three yeah. two uh, five two two two. Um, you know, Kodak double X just has like a, a batch number in the edge or whatever it is that's at right, the edge. Right. So I usually th- then I put in you know just put in the double X. So then it's on the on the film. It's scratching into the emulsion. So when I um, develop it, it's right there. And so when it goes in the sleeves, I write that onto the sleeve. Um, right. I do that. I, I do all of those steps too, except I don't, I've never thought of writing on the emulsion. Yeah. I'll write usually on the canister or on 120. I just write yeah. right on the paper. Well, here's the, the problem with that is the canister is divorced from that roll as soon as you hang it up or as soon as you cut it off. Yeah. Right? So that's the reason. No. So you. Right, but it gets me closer. To, right, like my memory can usually yeah. work that long. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't work for months. unless you have yeah. two two rolls of the same film that you know that type of thing. Yeah, so right, and that's where my notebook. Comes yeah, in, because my notebook will have a few specific shots, so it'll say you know tulips on frame four, and then sure. Know, you know, One of the things right. that um, uh, I have found though is you can scratch in the emulsion all you want on E six. if it if it has if it's exposed it turns clear (laughs) so you're not going to get it so uh that was something that i uh i had to remember what camera it was from the shot uh today when i was doing some e6 developing yeah well so i just i like the data i like to, to take enough notes so i have some idea what i was up to I was listening to the Lensless podcast the other day, and Zeb Andrews was on, and he was talking about 
how much he likes pinhole for backcountry photography because of the long, long exposure times. And so you basically are forced to just sit there and enjoy being in the place you are in. And I really appreciate that. When I take a digital camera into the backcountry, I, you know, I'll spend too much time taking pictures and take too many pictures and fussing with it. And it's definitely, it gets in the way. And those long exposure times have a lot to be recommended. And I just kind of experienced that the other day, testing out the Pinblad. You know, it was near sunset. It was low light. I was doing multiple minute exposures. And it was really nice to just stare out and see what was going on. And there was seals and sea lions came by. And I didn't have a telephoto lens, so I just enjoyed them. Right, right. (laughs) And let them blur their way across my, you know, pinhole camera, leaving no trace whatsoever behind. Who cares? It was really nice. You know, um, I'll I'll give a little bit of philosophy along that that same line. Um, When I was first learning photography back in the 80s at the University of Minnesota, our first, you know, formal classes. Um, I uh, the professor um, put up a picture of an ad. It was a Canon ad, and it showed it was at a baseball game, and it showed all of these people reaching out for the baseball um, on you know a, a foul ball or a home run, whichever one it was, and except for the one guy with the camera taking the pictures mm-hmm. and he said there's something wrong with this um it, it, this, this is saying that a picture is worth the same as catching that foul ball and i don't believe that uh, well, at all <clears throat> sorry you know oh see i'm i'm of the opposite yeah opinion. yeah well, um, well i think the picture's worth way more than the ball. okay <laughs> but but what he was saying yeah what he was saying was that the the picture is worth more than the experience. And, you know. Yeah, so that's different. Yeah. That's a different question. Yeah, that's definitely um, a hard one. I, yeah. I think that, you know, it's one of those things where compromise is the answer, right? You, right? you want to take some pictures, but you don't want it to completely overwhelm the experience. So that's where uh, using, for instance, using film, where you can only take a few pictures, right, uh, can be a big help. Right, it forces you to wait for the good ones and then ignore the, you know, not be peering through your camera the whole time. So right, that's a good thing. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, that interview with Zeb, I thought was pretty good. Um, uh, that was very I, good. I, I found a lot of inspiration in in, in those things that he was saying uh, as well. And I also picked up some stuff because I was sitting there. And not staring into a camera. Right. So um, I was sitting there, cameras sitting near me on a boulder, and then I see a ship coming way down the way. And I was able to figure it out, how fast it was going, and time it so that I could try a photograph with the ship crossing the whole frame. And, you know, I prob- I might have seen that, I might not have seen that, but I certainly wouldn't have been all set up to to take advantage of it. So there was some advantages to to just sitting around. You know, part part of the deal is, you know, um, it's sometimes as fun to see through the eye of uh, of a camera and not take a picture. And what I mean by that is if you're driving and you don't actually mm-hmm. have a camera that you can take a picture with, mm-hmm. you, but you can still frame it, uh, sometimes that's mm-hmm. every bit as satisfying um, as actually taking the picture. 
I don't know. May, I may have already told this story on this podcast. I can't remember. Did I tell you about seeing a bird cross fly in front of a, a small window years ago when I was a kid? I don't, I don't remember that particularly. Well, that was my first kind of photographic experience. I was probably 10 years old. I was in my room. There was a very small window and a bird flew across in front of it and it acted as a shutter. And I saw the shape of the bird in mid-flight as if it had been frozen by a camera. And I drew it. Oh. And it was the first time I understood how wings of birds deformed or changed shape while they were flying, you know, because I had that, the, the window provided the equivalent of a, of a fast shutter speed and gave me this, just a sudden flash. And my, somehow my brain recorded it and I, and actually sketched it. And it was, it was just, it was this weird thing where the, the shutter was fixed and the, and the subject was moving, but it had the same effect. Well, uh, yeah, I, I've had a similar, uh, thing. I remember in college, uh, there was a bookstore that was upstairs above, um, uh, I don't know. I think it was a drugstore. And I was at the top of the stairs coming down and I was looking out that little bit of, of sidewalk that you can see and a gorilla walked by. <laughs> and of course it was a it was somebody in a gorilla suit right okay right, right. but yeah. oh you know there was there was oh, this that's so great there was yeah. you know there because it was that limited little right. uh angle and there was there was something about the motion that convinced me too sure i mean he was you he was really for that it, moment you know? this that moment you were a wildlife right for, you know somebody. right deepest exactly deepest jungle. uh one of the things that i wanted to mention is um on uh and neil piper uh on soot and whitewash mentioned this uh, a couple episodes ago he mentioned the i am or i'm digital back um on it was on kickstarter i went back and looked and i couldn't find it as an active thing on kickstarter but you could find the old Kickstarter on it. Um, but it, what it is, is it's a digital back that will, you know, you remove the back door of your camera. You fit this on the back of your film camera and it becomes a digital back for a 35 millimeter SLR. And one of the things that you can do is you can move the uh, sensor around so that it's right behind um, the film gate. And... Um, so so hold on just a sec. Is that the same one you sent the link to me about? Yes. Which was Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so the so I the one when I I just want to break in and say that when I looked at it, the way it was set up was so that the sensor was actually reading the image on the ground glass through the viewfinder somehow. Okay. Uh let me look it up um, here. And uh, and and so there may, there may be more than one way to use it, but the reason that he did it that way is essentially it was a tiny camera taking a photograph of the ground glass because that allowed him to use a much smaller, cheaper sensor than you can use. Um, if he'd put that sensor directly behind the lens, you would have you would only get this tiny little crop of of your image. But by using it to essentially photograph the ground glass, he was able to use a very small sensor to to get a full frame. Yeah, image. this one uh that I'm looking at right now and it's I'm I am back.eu. And mm -hmm. um it uh no, this is this is definitely it is for the back of a camera. 
Uh, the one. No, that I know that. Yeah. But if you if you if you go deeper into it, oh, okay. it goes on the back of the camera, uh-huh. but it is not putting the sensor behind the lens. It's 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 using a bunch of mirrors to take a photograph of the ground glass okay. in the SLR. So it's it's that's and it's a so it's a much much lower optical quality than you might expect. Okay. And if I was going to design a camera that was to just basically take a picture of ground glass, I would want the biggest piece of ground glass sure. possible, sure. and 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 use a macro lens or something on a on a camera with a decent sized sensor. So I, I think that was like a cool idea, but probably the technology would have to be pretty great to get a, a reasonable quality image. Yeah, uh, and and there's something there's something about that. But um, what I kind of thought of. As soon as I saw it, is this is a component in a camera that I can build, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so I can build and I can put any lens I want around it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. you know, I can, uh, you know, I can really work with that, um, that that type of uh, setup. So. Uh, I just, you know, and I, and I'm not sure I'm going to order one. Um, they're, I don't think they're terribly expensive. Um, they're not, but, but I think you should really study the, yes. um, the design because yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it's an idea that I think is really interesting. And the one thing that puts me off is that I only found one or two actual photographs taken with it. Um, you know, he's got a lot of information on the, yeah, how they fit to different cameras and all this cool stuff. But there's only a couple images, and they're not that appealing. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of like, you know, this is like one of these things where the concept may not be, you know, it may not be as good quality as the, it's hard to tell because there aren't enough images to judge by. Um, it might be, it might be really fantastic, or it might not. I couldn't tell um, from looking. And at there it. are five images on the website, and they're all, you know, pretty heavily vignetted. Um, so, yeah, right. uh, you know, and that, and that's probably because it's shooting the ground glass. Right. So it's an interesting idea. It, it kind of reminds me of the, my idea for using a twin lens reflex to have combination film digital. Cause these could, I don't know how these ones are designed, but in theory, you could leave it functional both ways. Like in, you know, there, you, one could design it so that you could still shoot film with the same camera. Right. I don't know if these allow that right. or not, but but it, uh, I, I thought of it as, you know, uh, a cheap and quick and easy component uh, for a build uh, that could get you yeah, a digital yeah, sure. camera. So, uh, you know, it's, no, that's it's true. you yeah. know, we're mm-hmm. doing off-label uh, use of that prescription, but it is, um, uh, you know, it's still uh, pretty doable, I think. Oh, sure. No, and it might turn out to be, there might be all these uses for it. Other than as your primary imaging device, like, right. you know, so the taking the twin lens idea, if you, if you used it, uh, with a matched camera so that, you know, you're essentially using the digital stuff for your, you know, focusing and measuring light and all of that. And then, uh, uh, you could have an, an analog, uh, in parallel set up in right. parallel to it right. to get a higher, higher resolution image as well. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple couple more things uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, there are a couple of new podcasts out. One of them uh, I have had trouble getting, but it was mentioned um, 
on this last episode, um, the, the Sunday night episode of, um, uh, oh my God, what is it? Uh, negative positives. Um, and, uh, it's, um, somebody named Leonid and I, I didn't quite get through. Um, so hopefully, uh, soon they'll, they'll be up on the, uh, film podcast network website. Hopefully mm-hmm. they'll, they'll put it through. The other one is viewfinder Vikings pon- podcast. And that's Sven Olaf Humberset. And, um, so that's, uh, a new one out for everyone to, uh, to kind of search out. I think that there are a couple of them, uh, that are out there that have started recently that I have missed. So, uh, pass on if anybody, uh, knows, you know, uh, of, or if you're doing a podcast that's not on the filmpodcastnetwork.com webpage, go to that webpage fill out a form and, uh, and I'll go ahead and list you. It's free in perpetuity. Um, I'm not asking for advertising. I'm not going to have advertising on the site. I'm not asking for money from the viewers or from the listers. I just want to, uh, make sure everybody can get to those. So, uh, if anybody knows any of those, um, uh, of any other one of the, uh, any new podcast that's out there, um, let me know or, uh, tell them to go to that website. Um, did you have a, okay. a book this week? Yeah. Um, I don't think I've already mentioned this book. This is the problem. I, I haven't made a list, so I'm never quite sure, but this, have I talked about pin this large kind of textbook of pinhole photography called Re- uh, pinhole photography rediscovering a historic technique uh, by eric renner i believe eric renner. So. um okay. or at least you've told me about it because i went and bought a copy all right well that was another good one yeah and i had i did want to mention uh, a couple people from the Flickr site there's a photo that was just posted by alex purcell with made with his big muff four by five pinhole and it's really, really nice image, and it kind of shows how strong pinhole can be when you like use it for what it's good at. And this is this ridiculous depth of field. He's got, you know, a half a mile all in focus from like right on the end of your nose to forever. It's really cool, um, and it looks very good. And it also has that quality that I was raving about earlier, where everything's a little bit unsharp, but it's perfectly even. You know, like there's no disparate it's not there's there's not one place that's sharper than another and there's so much photography these days that goes to the opposite extreme and it's all about the bokeh and the blur and then you know one lovely subject that's in focus and i really kind of like going the other way where everything's exactly equal in uh, importance in terms of sharpness sure it doesn't have to be super sharp just that it all has equal importance so that you kind of the oh yes image the, uh, of this the whole image is working you know yeah, yeah isn't that nice? oh wow and and that's and that's also a little like hint that we should go bigger like four by five or what were we we were before this show started we were talking about how to do 20 by 24 yeah <laughs> um and the fantasy you know of the giant polaroid I, it doesn't have to be polaroid and it just clicked in my head that if all you need is three sheets of black and white paper and you shoot, you know, one with a red filter, one with a green filter, one with a 
blue filter in front of the lens or whatever the colors are and uh, and then process them you know digitally to, cr- to create a full color image afterward right. and that's the way to do large format color that i can handle like you know with my regular old flatbed scanner and you know the inexpensive relatively inexpensive paper compared to buying giant pieces of film so that's a really really exciting idea to me so yeah that's it so the only catch is a lens and hey there's the answer pinhole i mean if it's 20 by 24 right there's plenty sharp a pinhole is plenty sharp the only thing is of course it would have to be it would be long long exposures right such a big negative and uh but still there's uh there's also you um uh clue me into the poly k um stuff uh the uh six by 15 uh film camera am i pronouncing Mm -hmm. his name wrong i don't know poly p-a-l-i k i don't i don't know yeah it sounds yeah uh anyway um uh we we got quite a few pictures of those um uh, or quite a few uh, images of those in uh, both our thread and our, excuse me, on our uh, group photos um, group pool and um, mm-hmm. and then on his site because he's doing some really amazing work with, uh, with that. Um, and then uh, Carlos Richards, Carl Richards uh, posted Carlos 159 and 160 which are two just I don't know, beautiful pieces of art in themselves. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, those are really lovely, lovely cameras. Uh, and the, the sliding box one, I actually commented you could make a zooming pinhole with right. if you added a turret with multiple pinholes. Right. And he said, yeah, I think he thinks he might do that. So that would be very All cool right. to see because it would be the perfect kind of simple way to do that. That's a really nice camera. And these things that Polly's doing look very very impressive they're right. 3d printed uh i think he's designing them or it's some sort of collaboration anyway they're they're really nice um yeah and and yeah there's uh you've been talking a lot about another person who's doing some pretty high-end 3d printed cameras and so all of a sudden it feels like in just the last few months there are a whole bunch of kind of newborn camera companies sort of just blowing right. up and i think that's really exciting not just because the big companies have stopped making film cameras, but also because I feel like with modern technology, there are all these new directions that can open up for for traditional film photography that need to be built. And right. it's nice to see people doing some really sophisticated stuff to, uh, you know, complement our more crude efforts. Uh, right right exactly encourage us to maybe <laughs> set our sights a little higher you know it's so beautiful but, uh, it makes yeah. me want to cry <laughs> yeah i mean that's all right that's, that's i mean seriously yeah. when i look at carl's carl richard's stuff um oh my god yeah and go back to, yeah. it really take take some time go back through his entire flicker or yeah flicker feed and um and look at those because they're one after the other, just beautiful, beautiful instruments. Um, yeah. So actually, the person I'm talking about with the telescoping box yeah. is a different guy. Oh, okay. Um, P A P P A. Oh yeah, yeah. Dom D O M. So yeah, I'm not he sure of the of the name. Right. Those are um, a lovely kind of dovetail yeah. joint. You know, cabinet work. Very very yeah. simple box pinhole cameras. Um, yeah. But 
I like the I like the telescoping box yeah. design a lot. And not only that, but it's it's uh, fabulous woodwork and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. So um, let's tell them where they can get a hold of us. Uh, you want to you want to cover that this this time? Uh, let's see. Uh, only if it's here on the cheap notes. Oh, okay, um, it's not. You, you've you've <laughs> already covered your. Um, yeah, I I don't remember all of all the different. Okay, uh, so uh, I am uh, on. Okay, we'll go through Nick's um, on Flickr. He is Nick Lyle. Um, on Instagram, Avi Nick, A-V-Y Nick. Um, right. email is Nick at homemadecamera.com. Um, you can always find us in the, um, uh, in the Flickr forums on, uh, the Homemade Camera podcast Flickr forums. Uh, you can get a hold of me at, uh, Graham at homemadecamera.com. Uh, I am Freezer of Photons on Flickr and uh, Graham Homemade Camera on Instagram. And let's see. Yeah, that's it for the contact. Um, uh, yeah. And you've you've already you've already gone over the film podcast. Network I've already done this that. Time, yep. right? So that leaves thanking Robbie Cribs for composing and creating the music we use throughout the show. And look him up at Soundtrap Studios. Mm-hmm.